0: So as we've heard, we're back in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we did share a while back that we felt, we were convinced uh, that during the pandemic that God wanted us to go back to basics, back to the beginning, back to the Gospels, and uh, we believe, it is believed, that Mark is the earliest of all the Gospels, and that was one of the reasons why we started this journey uh, in the Gospel of Mark. Now, believe it or not, uh, the part that's after this is actually what we did after February the 14th. So that's when we were leading up to that, and we kind of took a break, and then we jumped in Mark for the Lenten season, and now we've backtracked. We had Grace series on grace, and now we're back in the Gospel of Mark. And of course, you know, I'm thinking, well, let me check again where we left off. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, this is where we're getting back into Mark, where we're diving in to Mark. And uh, I thought, you know, the title of my passage, and you heard that at the uh, song at the beginning, look what the Lord has done. And, and that's what we're saying in our passage today. Look what the Lord has done. And uh, I wanted to ask you today, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? And I'm just seeing if there's some thinking there. Maybe you want to whisper it to the person next to you. What are you afraid of? What would be the top of your list that you're afraid of? Pastor Mike would say, mine is spiders. Yeah, I think so. Mind you, we have other fears, don't we? What are you afraid of? And I'm thinking of fear today. And um, it was interesting that as I was looking to see what were Canadians afraid of. Now, this was before the pandemic. So I'm sure with the pandemic, the fears list, the top five, would have changed a bit. Now, men, I wanna see if any of these hit you when I say these top five of Canadian men, what they're afraid of. The top is 33% is snakes. Depends what time. (laughs) Then the next 31% is height, afraid of heights. Now here's an interesting one. The third one is public speaking, 28%. The fourth is spiders. Now you better hope I don't have a husband that's like me that's afraid of spiders and no spider would ever get killed in our house. The, the fourth is tight spaces. You wouldn't want that guy going down into a crawl space underneath the house and the last is natural disasters 20%
1: now you want to hear
0: the women the women the top fears for women number one on the women's list also snakes but 46% the second on the list you guessed it it's spiders so I'm, I'm with 40% of other Canadian women I'm right up up there at 40%, women worry more about natural disasters. Now, here's one that's not on the men's list, but it's definitely on ours. Mice and rats at 38%. Ooh, I just saw a whole bunch of women just shudder. And the worst for me to add to that would be bats. The, Italian, the Germans call them Flügelmaus, which means flying mice. That's what a bat is, and that's what I think bats are. Uh, the fourth is heights. and public speaking at the bottom, 37% for women. And so why do I bring that up today? One of the reasons why I bring that up today, we're seeing fear a lot in our passage today. Fear seems to be driving our passage today. And and we need to backtrack a little bit with the disciples, the fear that the disciples had. They were terrified. We, We saw back in chapter four, just before this passage, they're caught in a terrible storm. First of all, they're afraid they're going to what? Drown. Remember that? Fearful they're going to drown. Lord, don't you care that we're going to drown? We're going to perish? 40 and 41 of chapter 4, it says, and he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And this is what 41 says. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? So they're now... Jesus is not just this good teacher. Jesus is actually the one who can stand up in a boat and just speak a word. And all of nature comes under his lordship and kingship. The storm ceases. So they're they're sitting there a little little terrified. That all happened as they... uh, As Jesus said, let's go over to the other side of the lake. It's about an eight-kilometer journey. That's when the storm happened. It happened when Jesus had said to them, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And so we know that that's over on the east side of the Jordan. That is a non-Jewish territory. That is the area we're told in the scripture of Decapolis. Decapolis means the area of ten cities. This was a Greek area. And it's now under Roman tyranny. And so this is so far from home, this is so far from Judaism, this shows you that Jesus already had the plan to reach out beyond the Jewish population. It was Jesus' plan to reach out to the lost, all people. And we see it already here, even before his death. Now there's a new storm. It's demonic. So you can imagine the disciples are saying, phew, Wow, that was intense. Now we finally get to get out of this blasted boat. Right? It's dark. Think about it. It's dark. They finally have their feet again planted on solid ground. They're just like, praise God, hallelujah. And whammo! <laughs> this maniac, this demon possessed maniac, comes down out of the tombs, out of a place of death, and he comes shrieking towards them right, shouting out towards them, and they're like, whoa, what is this all about? What are we getting into here? He, had, uh, he was naked. He was chained. Uh, his wrists and his hands had broken chains, and he's just, he's been mutilating his flesh, by the way, cutting in our, this younger generation. Think about that. Won't even go into that. Cutting themselves? Here is this man who's been cutting himself, mutilated, and he comes in the dark out of the tombs in a cemetery (laughs) chasing after them. Now, you want to talk about a new storm? We don't hear much about the disciples in this passage, but I'm sure they are there just like, what is going on? What did Jesus get us into here? I think it's the makings of a nightmare. It's the makings of a horror film. Think about it. In the cemetery, dark at night, amongst this the tombs, is this man, this maniac, coming at them. Let's just stop for a moment and say something. Satan is real. It's it's real. Demons are real. He is active. He is awake. He is coming against God. He's trying to come against God's people. He is trying to come against God's church. It is a reality. I can tell you we could stop and talk about all the ways that is being done. This is why, even as Pastor Mike prayed, uh, what is so important for us as church, our weapon, as we heard in Ephesians 6, is to put on the full armor of God. And we're told to do two things there. We're told to stand, and we're told to pray. pray. Those are your two things that God has called you to do in the midst of spiritual warfare. Is to stand and to pray. This demon is not just a demon. Jesus asks him his name and he says we are legion because they are terrified of Jesus. There's multiple, multiple demons in this man. And so it's quite interesting as we see that the disciples are terrified But now we also see in this passage that the demons fear him. Do you know that area was such a difficult area that Luke's gospel tells us that no one dare pass by that way. Isn't that interesting? No one should go in that way because everybody knew that was the place you don't go. And yet, where does Jesus go? I think of the woman at the well, right? Right? Where Jesus walks right straight to her. Here is a situation where, of course, the disciples, and if we were probably there, we'd go the long way around to avoid this situation. But Jesus walks straight into that situation. And he walks right up to this man. And he knows that this man is there needing him. But the demons are there wanting to oppose him. Satan is opposing the sower, as we read in chapter 4, the beginning of it. Remember we heard about the different soils, and the sower goes out to sow the seed. What does the enemy do? He goes to snatch the word of God. Mm -hmm. Pastor Mike prayed a prayer this morning that we've prayed sometimes. We've all thought of it often. May the word of God not be snatched from us today, that when we go home this afternoon, we totally forget what it was about uh, it was a, a, a joke in our family back in the day. Mom and Keith would say, Wow, well, that was a good service this morning, and the preacher was on fire, and he preached a, a fantastic message. Mike and I, as antagonistic as we were before we were in faith, would say, Really? So, what did he preach about? Um, uh, <laughs> uh, but it was real good. See, the enemy wants you to not have that word go down deep into good soil and produce much fruit. He wants to snatch it from you, as we read in chapter 4 previously. And so, as we said, that the enemy is definitely working against the things of God and the church. But this is what I want us to see here, which is very, very powerful. The demons trembled at Jesus, the demons were terrified. Of Jesus, See, it's not so much about you, but it's about the one who lives in you. And if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you've got so much Jesus in you, the demons are terrified of you too. And so they say to Jesus, they plead with him, send us into the pigs. See, Matthew's Gospel tells us the reason for that. Because in Matthew's Gospel it says, do not send us into the abyss. And so they, for them, the abyss was where they didn't want to go. So they figured, well, the pigs would be better than being sent back to the abyss. And so we know that Jesus sends them into the pigs and they go over the cliff and into the water and are drowned. I want to encourage you today that even today the enemy is afraid of Jesus. Just listen to some of these verses, these statements from Scripture. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and his fallen angels, 1 John tells us. Everlasting fire has been prepared by God for the purpose of punishing these evil beings who brought about the world's destruction, Matthew 25 tells us. There is also eternal punishment for the fallen angels, chained in darkness for the rebellion and ungodly deeds, 2 Peter and 1 Jude tells us. The final destination for all of these evil spirits... The devil, death, and Hades will be in the everlasting lake of fire. That's what Revelation tells us. And so we know. We know his end is doom. And so we have nothing to fear if we are in Christ today. So the demons fear Jesus. But now we see the citizens of the town, they fear Jesus. It's interesting that, first of all, they have a fear of this man who was tormented. They, they, They have a terrible fear of him. And I want to say something to you today in light of everything that's happened in the media in recent days here in Canada that Pastor Mike prayed about. When we are afraid of something, when we don't understand it, when we don't like it, we either try to constrain it or get rid of it. That's what we do when we're afraid. We try to constrain it or we get rid of it. And so when we see all that's been going on in the media in recent days in the shocking news, we see that they were trying to either constrain people or they're trying to get rid of people and ultimately it has only brought disaster. They tried to kick this man and bind him. They tried to constrain him. He was way too strong for them. It didn't work. So what they did was they marginalized him. He was left to his own. He was out of sight, out of mind. He was out in the tombs cutting himself, shrieking and crying, seeking for some kind of relief. But they didn't care anymore because he was out of town and he was out marginalized, out in the tombs. We ministered in Switzerland. And when we were there in Switzerland, uh, we had a gentleman that was living in the apartment above where we were church planting. And he, a uh, great guy, and but he was a heroin addict. And so it brought our attention to that. And little did we know that God was preparing us. Because as we went to Italy, we worked amongst heroin addicts. A- and this heroin addict, you know, one of the things that we started to see was happening in Switzerland. The Swiss people were very upset with this, as anybody is. Addictions are a terrible thing. But what happened was they didn't like in Zurich, their beautiful city of Zurich, they didn't like the fact that this park was in the middle of Zurich. It was one of the prettiest parks, but now it had become the junkie park where all the heroin addicts were gathering, selling heroin, shooting up in the middle of the park. So the Zurich uh, people were saying, what are we going to do about this? The politicians, they had many, many different meetings, and they were trying to figure out how they could resolve this issue. And so what they came up with was that they would make apartments in Zurich. They had several apartments in Zurich where any junkie could go in, out of sight, out of mind, and go and shoot up to their heart's delight. But it wouldn't be in their precious, beautiful park. They marginalized them. It was something they were fearful of, something they didn't like, something they didn't want to be around. And so instead of dealing with the actual issue, the addiction, instead of seeing them as people broken, what they wanted was remove them and put them somewhere where we never have to deal with it again and we never have to see it. Oh well, my friends, when we're fearful of something, the tendency of us is either to constrain or get rid of it. Marginalize it. What did Jesus do in this passage? He walked right to the man. He saw him broken and in need of a savior. He didn't see and push him out of the way. Jesus comes here and he walks right up to the man and he sees him set free. Because he realized having him walking around the tombs, a lost soul, was not enough for Jesus. They also fear Jesus, the, the the citizens of the area. You know what's beautiful in this passage? I got quite excited as you read it, if you were reading it for the first time. This man is totally set free. He is clothed, hallelujah, and he's sitting in his right mind. Something, I don't know how long he had been that way. And, and so it's amazing, God has set him free. And it is amazing, and fame is going out, and people are flocking see what's going on and so you're thinking wow now revival is going to break out in that Decapolis area isn't that exciting mm, no the people are afraid they're fearful and so instead of revival breaking out guess what they do they plead for Jesus to leave reminds me of Jesus trying to work in his own hometown if you remember that. When he was in his own hometown, it says that he left there. Actually, they tried to kill him. But it says he couldn't do many miracles there because of what? Their unbelief. And so they send Jesus away. And I just thought, how terrible is that? I like what somebody said here. There's no indication that they thanked Jesus. They didn't celebrate. They didn't congratulate the man. They didn't praise God for his goodness. They didn't seek to understand more. They just wanted Jesus to leave. If Jesus was gone, they could ignore it ever happened. They didn't want to think about it. They didn't want to understand it. They didn't want to be enlightened. They wanted to continue living their comfortable lives just the way they were. What they were familiar with. Jesus, don't come here and do anything new. And so to still the wind was easy for Jesus. To heal the sick is not hard. But power, however, cannot enter the moral realm. Force does not exist for the soul. Jesus will not force himself on anyone, he will allow the person to make the choice. Jesus went to capitalists and the one man was set free, but it was his desire to set them all free. But instead of seeing what God was doing in their midst, instead they didn't want Jesus to be around. And they plead, instead of pleading for him to come and touch them and change them, what they did was they pleaded for him to leave. Thanks, but no Thanks. And they were robbed of the blessing because of it. I, I'm challenged today when we think about ourselves, about you know how open are we to what God wants to do. I, I would love to say in all my years of ministry something right now. I've been pray- I got to share this. I've been praying for signs, wonders, and miracles to break forth. Not just for signs, wonders, and miracles, but I've been praying that signs, wonders, and miracles will break forth, that people will see and know that he is God. But this is what God has challenged me with lately. And if I do that, then what? Because the truth of it is, I've been so close to revival in my ministry over the years. I've tasted it. I could see it. I could see all that God was wanting to do. I've been in services where I feel that heaven has touched earth. And I'm all excited. And I go home and say, praise God, hallelujah. And I'm looking forward to that revival. And I'm waiting for the prayer meeting that the church is full. And I'm waiting for the next Sunday that everyone's going to come in so excited. And they're not even there. They're not there. Because the truth of it is we find ourselves here sometimes. Sometimes we're afraid of a move of God. Sometimes it terrifies us. What does that mean, Lord? What does it look like for us? if God truly moved in our midst, and we would have to let go of our status quo and our comfortable life. And so would we be like these citizens that we would just say, Jesus, you know, that's great, but would you just give us some space? Would you just leave us alone a bit in our comfort? I don't know if I want all that, quite honestly. And so it's sad because just like them, we can miss out on the blessings of what God is wanting to do in our midst in this generation. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm still praying for signs and wonders and miracles. But it challenged me. You know, there's three statements. I have it up on the bottom of the screen. I don't know if you can read it. That really stood out on this for me. Where people prefer property, remember the pigs. Where people prefer property to people, they will want to get rid of Christ. Did you hear that? Where people prefer property to other people, they will want to get rid of Christ. Those who want to remain in their sins will find Jesus intolerable and the message intolerable. And Jesus will not force himself on any person who does not want him. It is a choice. And so as we look at our own fears today, we need to be careful that we don't reject the move of God and what God is wanting to do in our midst. We have to be a person who doesn't struggle and say, Jesus, let's just keep my life comfortable. Jesus, just keep the status quo. Pastor, don't preach on that. it's It's just not right. It's just not comfortable. May we be people who are not fearful of a move of God or what God is wanting to do. May we not be like this person who says too often the human battle cry is, Like the sign that we put out on our hotel door rooms. Please do not disturb. (laughs) Don't disturb my comfort. Uh, Just leave things alone, please. Don't disturb my possessions. Don't disturb my way of thinking, my religious practices. Don't challenge me to think outside the box or to look at things in a new and a fresh way. Oh, yes, hold on to the the good and the old, but maybe God is wanting to say something new to you in your faith journey. Oh, no, don't don't disturb that, Pastor. Barclay has warned us in his commentary, cowardice of thought, lethargy of mind, and sleep of the soul. I think it fits into what... Sunday School was talking about this morning, those that will waste away. But praise God today. This man, this man is not afraid of Jesus. He has been delivered of his fears, and he realizes that Jesus was stronger than anything he had ever experienced in his life. And, you know, going back to chapter 4, here's the good soil. This is what Mark is trying to bring out. Let me give you an example of good soil. So here's the good soil, this man, not who we would expect, a demon-possessed man, living among the dead in tombs, rejected, shunned, naked, Cutting himself is the very one that Jesus brings the gospel seed, and it falls on good soil. And so that is amazing when we see that. And he is so changed and so transformed. He wants to be with Jesus. He wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus says to him, no. Don't you love that when the Lord answers our prayers that way? No. No. And Jesus says, no, you're, you're not to come with me. And it's interesting because this man now is sent forth as the, one of the first spokesmen. He is not, you know, he's nothing special, but Jesus sends him forth. He's to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ and the ministry of Christ in his area, in Decapolis, in the ten cities around there. Jesus says, no, I want you to stay, and I want you to go and tell them what the Lord has done. And what's interesting is he keeps the disciples with him who were raised Jewish, who were raised in the faith, that Jesus still can't, they can't get it. They still don't get it. So he keeps them with him. He keeps teaching them. He keeps coddling them. He keeps helping them. But yet this stranger, this foreigner, he releases and sends him forth to be a preacher of the word and the truth. Mm -hmm. The preaching is the greatest thing that all of us have. The story. Go tell them what the Lord has done. And he was successful in his mission because we're told everyone was amazed. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. You know, some of us are fearful about sharing what God has done. Some of us are fearful about getting up behind... Remember, we talked about public speaking fears. Some of us are fearful. But the one thing that we can do that this man was told to do, tell them how much the Lord has done for you. He goes back. He's to go back in his community. This new life changed and transformed. Back right... This is what's powerful. Back right to the place that tried to chain him... Back to the place that probably even abused him, spoke ill of him, marginalized him, forgot him for dead. This is where Jesus sends him back. That would say that he would need to forgive. He would need to forgive. Reconciliation would need to happen. As he goes back to those very people and he says, look at me now. Look what the Lord has done. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul said he was the first Apostle to the Gentiles. Well, I would say this man became the ambassador even long before Paul. He became the ambassador to the Gentiles as he goes and speaks all through Decapolis, those ten cities. And then you think about the Apostle Paul afterwards going into places and speaking and preaching and they would say, well, I remember that Jesus. I remembered when that man was set free. And he was totally changed and he shared his story. Paul comes in behind that. Remember we talked about for being in grace. Paul comes in behind what already this man had been doing through Jesus Christ. A life set free. We all have a story to tell today. We all have a story. If you are in Christ and you have been set free, you have a story to tell. And it is great. I praise God for Rwanda and praise God for Haiti. And those are all important places we need to minister all around the globe. We are a global mission church, globally minded. But where does it start? When you the door. Right here. Right in West France. Right amongst your family. Maybe even some of those that have been antagonistic towards you. You need to forgive them and you need to tell them your story. Again and again. And maybe again. Because you see, they cannot deny a changed life. Mm -hmm. They cannot deny a transformed, changed life. And that is what God is asking us to do. Don't be afraid to share your story with those around you. A changed life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. What can we say today? No case is hopeless. No case is hopeless with Jesus. Everyone. If this man can be changed and transformed by Jesus, anyone and everyone can be changed and transformed. i seen it with my own eyes as I watched heroin addicts. They would say that heroin, heroin was one of the worst drugs to be addicted to. People could not be changed. And yet we saw people changed. From that addiction. You think of those today that are addicted in West Prince. We need to believe again as the Church of Jesus Christ, and this story shows us that God can change people. Nothing is impossible with God. I want to encourage you today on that. Like Jesus, as the Church of Jesus Christ, We are not to be pushing people aside. We are not to constrain people. We're not to get rid of people that we don't understand and we don't like. What Jesus would do and call us to do as the church today is walk right up to them. Right where they are. Don't go around them. Don't ignore them. Don't push them to the side. Go to them. I think if Maxine was here today, she would say, Amen, Pastor. Welcome the newcomer in West Prince." That's what we're called to do as the church. It it is not to push them to the side. Yes, things are different. We don't always understand how people do things. But you only will get to a place of understanding by walking right up to them. And that's what Jesus does, and that's what he's asking the church to do. And go, my friends today, and tell other people, what the Lord has done. There's a climax in the Gospel of Mark that we looked at at Lent, that he's pointing to in this passage. Jesus himself will end up what? Naked, isolated, outside the town, among the tombs, torn apart on the cross by the Roman torture, his flesh cut and torn to ribbons, by the small stones in the Romans' lash. Jesus came to share our plight, to let the enemy do its worst to him, to take the full force of evil on himself so that others could go free. You and I are those others that have had the ability to go free because Christ took the enemy's attacks upon himself and in his flesh. Oh, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so now we know the enemy's doom is sure. And we are people who live in the victory of Jesus. And we have nothing to fear. Jesus has not left us defenseless. He has given us the authority to overcome all power of the enemy. He has given us the full armor to wear in Ephesians 6. And best of all, hallelujah, he has given us the Holy Spirit. So greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We have nothing to fear. Now hear this verse of this song. And I believe this man would have said this. I was bound by chains of darkness and sin. I had no hope, no peace of mind. My sins were as scarlet. He washed them like a snow. He opened up my blinded eyes. Now my soul was rejoiced. Since I made him my choice, I've got love, peace, everything I need. Now my name's been written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Can you see what he's done for me? I'm singing, look what the Lord has done. Look, oh, look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me. It was just in time. I'm going to praise his name. Each day, he's just the same. Come on and praise him. Look what the Lord has done. Amen. Stand with us as we sing this song, and then I will pray for us.